Join me, if you would, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. And I was, uh, I talked a little about getting to that word patience, and there's a word in the way. <laughs> I didn't get down as far as I thought I might go because I ran into a word called kingdom, kingdom. And I would like to spend a little time on that tonight. Revelation chapter 1, just a light to dispel darkness. That's what this word revelation is, apocalypse. The unveiling of something hidden. His glory shall be revealed and his righteousness made known and his children shall see full glory. Now I like that. That's just the whole gamut of what the Lord is to his people. He his glory shall be revealed. And if we see a God that's not full of glory, we haven't seen the God of this Bible. And if we see a God that whose righteousness is not clean and pure and all-sufficient, we haven't seen the God of this Bible. And if we see a God that cannot or will not have all his children present throughout eternity, that's not the God of this Bible. That's the revelation, the revealing. He is going to have all his children present. Now here, beginning with verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. 
and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a golden garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had on his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now I realize there's a colon there, and we should read the rest of it. <laughs> you go on and read that, but I'd like to go now back to verse 9 and spend a little more time in this verse 9. Last week we noticed in this verse, I, John, and there's so many relationships between this John and John over in the book of John. And we noticed those things. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And his ministry, his mission, his whole life was centered around the person Christ Jesus. And given the opportunity, he pointed every disciple to the Lord Jesus. And in fact, we read an account where two of his disciples were walking along with him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And his two disciples went and followed Jesus. And John thanked God. He didn't feel like he was being defeated. He just thanked God. That was his mission. That was his goal. And that is the mission and the goal of this John is to be used to point people to the Lord Jesus. And we notice also that he's our brother. Now, I like that it says there in John, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, it doesn't say Reverend John. It doesn't say right Reverend John. It doesn't give him any title whatsoever. He didn't assume one, and it wasn't given to him. And I like people calling me Norm. <laughs> they call Peter, Peter, and Paul, Paul, just call me Norm. No, there's no title. And as we looked at that last week when he says, I'm your brother, it was just there's an equality in the church that we'll find nowhere else in this world. We are not promoted, and we're not held back. There's no little people and big people. Now, we are convinced, and we run into those people that have a gift about wisdom. And I love being around those people, you know. And they're not boasting about their wisdom. They've just been given that, and, and, and it's a gift, and they share that wisdom. And I don't know how many times I've depended, <laughs> like maybe too much, on asking people about things. And, you know, by and large, those who have a gift of wisdom, they share it. They don't go home and brag about it, but it's just, it's just a gift that God gives them. But we never call them anything else. Don't call them master. Don't call them reverend. Don't call them doctor. Don't call them. That's it. Equality is in the church. We have one master, and that's the Lord Jesus. Now, he is the chief shepherd, and we have under shepherds, and, and we, we look to those people, and we're thankful for them. All right, now it says here, he's a brother, and he's a companion. Now, I'd like to reread that verse over there in the book of, of uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. If you turn there with me, Romans chapter 11, 
we want to see this word translated a little bit differently here. And I trust as we look at this, we'll see a little more of the meaning of what this word is, a, a companion. All right. Let's see if there's a little more that we can see about this word, more than just someone we put our arms around or walk down the road with. Now, that's good. Can two walk together except they be agreed? That's, that's, that's the truth. Can we walk with Christ unless we're agreed with him? You cannot walk. I like what Uncle Moe said. Uncle Moe says, you can't walk with the devil and the Lord at the same time because they're going in different directions. That's what Uncle Moe say. And he said the truth. You just can't. Is Christ divided? No. He's going in one direction. Now, notice with me here in the book of Romans, chapter 11 and verse 17. The scriptures say this. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive branch, or olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Now that word partakest, that's the same word we find over there for companion. And I like the way that those two words put together give us some significance about what this word is. We're a companion, but we're partaking of the same root. Now there's a fellowship there that we find nowhere else in the world. There's a fellowship in Christ partaking of that same root that we do not find anywhere else. It is a fellowship that's eternal. There is a fellowship that is permanent. There's a fellowship that is blessed. There's a fellowship that we look forward to. Now, you, we can't choose our natural family, but we can choose our friends. But thank God Almighty, it is contrary in the spiritual family. We don't choose our spiritual brothers and sisters. That's left up to God, but he makes us all amiable to one another. He does. Now, that's part of what the God, God Almighty does for us. We, uh, there's a verse. It's something to the effect of Paul didn't have to teach us to love one another. That's something God does. He teaches us to love one another. He gives good manners to his people. Now, this word also has a root word, and I'd like to look at some of those. Would you turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 5 so we can get a little more grasp on this. Luke chapter 5, as we think of this companionship, being a companion, John was a companion with the readers of this book in several capacities. He was a companion in Christ, but that also brought a companionship in other areas. Tribulation, kingdom, and patience of our Christ. He brings out those three things in that one verse of Scripture. There is a companionship that the Lord gives us. Now look with me in Luke chapter 5, and there in verse 10. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. This is the root word for that word. And it says here, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners. Now that word partner is the root word for that word we found over there in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 9, to be a partner. They were fishermen partners. Now, they had things in common. 
and they had things that uh, they agreed upon, and, and it just goes on from there. They were partners. They were fishermen partners, and that's what this word means. I am a partner with you. I'm a companion with you. I'm a fellow laborer with you. I, we are joined together in the root. Now, look with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 23, as we think about this companionship. Now, this companionship, this partnership that we read about here is this way, but it's this way. We're in companionship with Christ. We're in partnership with Christ. To be taken in as a full partner now, I've read stories and seen movies about people who aspire to become a partner in a law firm. They want to be full partners. Well, in the kingdom of God, every child of God is a full partner in the kingdom of God. Heirs of God and joint heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And equality there. God treats his children just like he treats his only begotten son with the same amount of love and the same partnership value and the same kingdom and everything is equal. So as we look here, there's a partnership as a fishing partnership. There's a relationship this way. He is our partner and we are his partner. And we're partners this way too. There is such a significant equality. Now, here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, notice there with me in verse 23. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 23. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Paul is saying, Titus is my partner. What's he a partner in? The gospel, in the preaching of the gospel. He is my partner in the preaching of the gospel. He is my partner in the concern of the saints. And this partnership is what's mentioned over there when a companionship it is more than just walking together. There is a relationship of equality. There is a blood relationship. There's a family relationship. There's an interest relationship. There is a righteous relationship. There is a kingdom relationship. Everything has this relationship embodied in it to have this relationship with one another and then to realize that we're partners we have this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means his kingdom is greater than I thought. His relationship with me is greater than I thought it was. It is more significant than I thought it was. It is farther going than I thought it was. I am in partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm the silent partner. <laughs> Oh, when it comes to his will, I'm a silent partner. When it comes to his purpose, I'm a silent I'm in agreement. <laughs> yes, I'm in agreement. Lord, help me to agree. I believe, help me to, to believe. I love, help me to love. I'm a partner, but I am not the... <laughs> there's an equality, but he is Christ. He's king. Now, there's one other one I'd like to read, and that's in the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. 
Philemon is such an interesting book because it's the story of a slave. And there's so much significance here about we're all slaves. We're all trying to get our own way. We're running away just like Philemon did. He left his master just like we do. Here in the book of Philemon, and Philemon gets to a place. You know who he runs into? Paul. (laughs) Paths cross. Can you just imagine him leaving his master and headed for Rome with the idea that he's going to hear the gospel? Not. (laughs) It's not his goal. It's not his mission. He wants to get somewhere where he's not known. Now, that just reminds me of Oregon about 150 years ago. Or Alaska. I'm going someplace where I'm not known. He gets down there, and he and Paul's paths cross, and Paul preaches the gospel, and this man is saved, and Paul says, I want you to go home and make things right with your master. And he gives the instructions here. (laughs) If he owes you anything, I'll take care of it. But just remember, I brought you the gospel. So, now notice here, Philemon. Philemon, and there in verse 17. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Now, if we're equal in the gospel, if we're equal in grace, If we're equal in hope, if we're equal in peace, you'll count him as a brother. Now, I like that. Someone pleading my case. The Lord Jesus pleads my case. And I'm thankful for other people that plead my case, but I'm thankful for the Lord pleading my case. He's my partner. He's going to plead my case. Others may, but he will. Now, so he's my companion. Paul, or excuse me, John said, I'm your companion. Companion. I'm your partner. We have an agreement here. We're all blood-bought. We're all family. We have the same love we have for one another that we have God with. We have his joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the leadership of the Spirit. We are a companion. We're partners. We're all grafted into the same root. And as a result of that, As we go over there to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, he says, I'm your brother and companion or partner. And last week we looked at that word tribulation just a little bit, and we found out that that means affliction or or tribulation. And that is what comes along to a group of people that the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in the, the parable of the sower. He shared with us, he shares with his disciples He said now to a certain group here that hear the gospel and they for joy receive it and then along comes tribulation and they don't stick it out. They just don't have the root. That's what the problem is. They don't have the root. They don't have the root. Tribulation. Tribulation is going to work its part. Now, notice with me in the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 35. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. This verse of Scripture shares with us what shall separate God's people from God. Romans chapter 8. Now, tribulation will separate, 
the, the chaff. Tribulation will separate the tares. Tribulation will separate the goats. Tribulation will separate the lost. Tribulation will cause them. It's going to happen. They're going to come along, and it's going to happen. Eh? For a season, but then tribulation. But notice here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, we read these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? That's the same word that we found in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Now to God's people, tribulation will not separate them from Christ. Tribulation will not separate them from Christ. It will. Now there's two effects of tribulation. They'll leave, we'll leave, or we'll be brought closer. That's it. There's no in-between. We'll leave or we'll be brought closer. Tribulation falls out because of God. Tribulation falls out because of God's purpose. And we'll be brought closer or we'll leave. And some will leave. Some will leave. That's just the way it is. But his people will endure to the end. Tribulation will not separate them from the love of Christ. It goes on there in verse 35 and says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The answer is none of them. None of them shall separate us from the love of God. Tribulation won't. None of those other things will either. Affliction will not. And so the Apostle John is sharing with us that I am your partner. Now, there's a partnership between me and God. There's a partnership between me and all the saints. There's an equality here. And I'm a partner with you in tribulation. Now, no one would ever deny that the Apostle John did not go through tribulation. He's on the Isle of Patmos for it. He's separated from all his spiritual family as a result of it. He's Joseph down in Egypt, but there's no Egyptians around him. It's a bare island. Very few people there. Just a few to keep track of him. So he has tribulation, but he's writing and sharing with this, I'm your companion in tribulation. You're going through it. I'm going through it. All of God's people will have tribulation. Now, it goes on to share with us in this verse of Scripture, going back to the book of Revelation chapter uh, 1 and verse 9. He says, I'm a companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. Now, that just overwhelmed me. I had to stop there and contemplate on that. I had to cogitate. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, Mike and I went over to look at a job. And it, I call it the dry rot house. It's a dry rot house. It's a serious problem. Young lady uh, bought it. And uh, her dad was working in that house and He's about ready to lay down uh, new flooring, and he's in the bathroom and discovers a little dry rot. So he contacts me, and I go over, and we look at it, and it's dry rot. So he tears it off, and there's lots of dry rot in it, just a lot of dry rot in there. And uh, yesterday, uh, we went and visited with him a little bit before we started, and I called him up, and I said, we're going to go and we're going to go cogitate on this problem. He says, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> 
I'm glad you're going to win. Think about what you're going to do. He was pleased that we're going to cogitate on it. He knew what the word meant, too. We're going to cogitate on it. Well, as I cogitated about this word, the first thing that I ask myself is, there's some things about the kingdom I don't understand, but I want to find some things I can understand. And that's what I want to share tonight, this word kingdom. Now, one of the books I read, and I, I think I'm going to tape it shut so I don't open it very often. <laughs> Down to the definition, it said, and then it got to the point of um, dispensationalism will cause this interpretation. And I says, I don't want that interpretation. I just want to know what the word meant. I don't want it interpreted through the glasses of some system or some idea. I just want to know what the word means. And so when you have to have this as the eye of, of interpretation of a word or the meaning of a word, that's the book I'm going to close and put up there because he's already telling me I'm not going to be honest with you. Now, let's look at a couple of places where this word kingdom, my kingdom, or his kingdom, is mentioned. And I think we can get some idea of what the Apostle John is mentioning here when he says, I am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. Now, that is a good thing, good idea, good place to be a companion in the kingdom. This is the Lord's kingdom. Now, read with me, if you would, over in the book of John chapter 18. Now, if ever we're going to get some real significant statements out of people, it's close to their death. I, I've read books where uh, people, you know, they committed a crime or something, and they're on their deathbed, and they start making a confession, confessing what they did. they got to get it cleared up before they die. Now, whatever that means. But the Lord Jesus is so close to being suspended between heaven and earth. And he shares this verse about his kingdom. And I love it. John chapter 18, John chapter 18, and verse 36. Now notice this. This cleared up a lot. My kingdom. John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus answered. Now he's been posed a question by Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. Now that answered a whole lot for me. My kingdom is not of this world. Now what he's saying is, in part, I never came to set up an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. It is not a kingdom as most people think. Now, in the scriptures, if we think of Jesus Christ being a piece of physical bread, we're going to miss a big point, aren't we? He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven, but he's not talking about a physical piece of bread. 
And he says, I'm a door. But if we think of him in our mind as a physical door, we've missed the point. He says, I'm a temple. And if we think of him as an earthly temple, we've missed the point. These are spiritual pictures that God gives to his people about himself. I am the water of life. The woman at the well, when she heard that, she says, give me this water so I don't ever have to come back down here. Now, she had missed the point. It wasn't long she saw the point. Now, all of this is by revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ shares with us all of his characteristic and attributes, spiritually speaking, it doesn't apply physical. He's not a piece of bread. He's not a literal door as we think of it. He is the door to heaven, but he's not one that opens and closes on a hinge. He's not a lamb as we see in the pictures that have to do with the book of Revelation. And so when he speaks to Pilate on this great issue about his kingdom, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. You know what happened? Peter, James, John, Philip, and all the rest of those guys would have been there with swords. Jesus had to stop one of his disciples from taking the head off of one of those guys. Got his ear, Lord put it back on. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. They, there'd be an army. And what's he going on to say? That I should not be delivered to the Jews. I'd never be here if my kingdom was of this world. I'd never be in your hands. I'd never be given over to you. But my kingdom is not from hence. What he's saying is here, all that's taking place right here is prescribed, determined, predestined. It's a spiritual kingdom, and I'm fulfilling a spiritual responsibility to my house, to my church, and to my people, and to my children, and to my sheep, and to all that I have. I am fulfilling a spiritual responsibility to them. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 1 and verse 33. We read here as the, we, we keep going back to the, the uh, incarnation story. But Luke, chapter 1 and verse 33, we find these words about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a physical kingdom again. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, if he said his kingdom is not of this world, he's not going to have the prophets declaring that his kingdom is of this world. His prophets are led by the Spirit of God, and they're going to be talking about a kingdom, the same kingdom that he's talking about. He told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my servants would be here fighting and you wouldn't even see me. I would not have been delivered to the Jews. I did not come down here to set up an earthly kingdom. Now, notice with me in Luke chapter 1 and verse 33, the same kingdom is mentioned here, and it's not a kingdom of national Israel because his kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that he reigns, rules in hearts. Now, he does reign over this world, but this kingdom, he reigns in hearts, and it isn't let Jesus be your king. When he's king, he reigns where he pleases to reign. And it's not by permission. Now, after we're converted, after we're born again, 
we find out what a blessing it is that he would come and reign. And if it wasn't for him coming and reigning in our hearts, we would all go to hell. That's just as clear as we can make it. it our whole earthly, our, our whole spiritual life is dependent upon this king reigning in his kingdom. Now notice Luke chapter 1 verse 33. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Excuse me, verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There shall be no end. It didn't start. What did we read about the Lord? I'm Alpha. What do we read about the Lord? Omega. Alpha and Omega. His kingdom is the same kind of kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. He rules and reigns in a spiritual kingdom. Now, he is ruling over the plant kingdom. He is ruling over the mineral kingdom. He is ruling over the animal kingdom. And he's ruling over the human kingdom. All kingdoms. Every king is under his hand. But when it comes to his church... He is absolute monarch just like there, but people don't notice it that way. Pilate said, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, did you hear this or are you convinced of this? Someone tell you this or do you know it? Now this is by revelation. I'm the king over a kingdom, and it's an everlasting kingdom. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians. Now, how do you get into the kingdom? It's a kingdom that's not of this world, and it's an eternal kingdom, and it's a kingdom that John's talking about. Now, how in the world? It's so delightful. It's so wonderful. It's so glorious. It's God ruling. It's the Lord Jesus Christ ruling over his people. How in the world can I get into that kingdom? Notice here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it shares with us exactly how we're placed into this kingdom, how we get into this kingdom. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. The scriptures share this. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 11. This is how I can't get you there. I can't get you in the kingdom. You can't get anybody in the kingdom. Notice how we're placed in this kingdom. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 11. As ye know how you were exhorted and comforted. Excuse me. Twelve, thank you, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. How are we put in the kingdom? We're called into his kingdom. It's not this call, it's his call. How are we in the kingdom? He said, we're partners we're companions in tribulation and in the kingdom. How in the world? It's a kingdom that's not of this world. It's an eternal kingdom. How are we in the kingdom? We're called into the kingdom. And if we go through the scriptures, we find that we're called to salvation, 
We're called to repentance. We're called to faith. We're called. God calls his people out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We're called out of the world into this spiritual kingdom by spiritual blessing, by a spiritual birth, by spiritual regeneration. He calls his people into an everlasting kingdom, into a kingdom that's not of this world. It's not of flesh and blood. It isn't an earthly king. It's a heavenly king over spiritual people that have been regenerated and given life. And it is an eternal kingdom. His kingdom, he's had reference to his people from the be before the foundation of the world. And this kingdom will be carried on throughout eternity. He has always been king. He is king. He will forever be king. He has always had an interest in his subjects. He has an interest in his subjects. And he will forever have an interest in his subjects. He's an everlasting king over an everlasting kingdom with an interest in his people that have been for everlasting. Now, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke chapter 23. The thief on the cross. Now, I paid attention to what he had to say, but not like I did this afternoon when I was reading about this kingdom. What does the thief on the cross say? Notice with me here in the book of Luke, chapter 23 and verse 42. This kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, it's not of this world. It's an everlasting kingdom. It's from eternity to eternity. And I know that those are poor choice of words, but that's the only way I know how to explain it. Eternity to eternity is just poor words. We just don't have a way of describing it. But we're called into this kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual birth that puts us in it. He is king over his people. Now, he's king over all things. Every kingdom is his. He's sovereign over everything. But this spiritual kingdom... His people bow presently. We look around us. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? Psalm 1. Boy, upset with God, shaking their fist at it. it doesn't look like he's getting a job done, does it? But he is. Now, in his spiritual kingdom, we live and move and have our being in him. He is king. He, he's the head. And where the head turns, the body follows. It's no wonder he can say, My sheep hear my voice and follow me. When he turns his head and takes off, his body is going to follow him. It's not going to stay behind. He's going to move his body. His body is the church. He says that. I'm the head of the body. And when that body moves he is king over his church. Out in the world, we said, man, everything's going to bad, really bad. But in the kingdom, in the kingdom, God's people say, my goodness, we're enjoying every spiritual blessing. He's reigning and ruling. He's kind. He is a benevolent, benevolent king giving us every spiritual blessing. And besides that, we inherit with him just we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the kingdom. Everything is equal. God loves his people just like he loves his son. God has a, a, a delight in his people just like he has a delight in his son. Everything. I, it's beyond my imagination. 
I just, I'm unable to comprehend what I get to enjoy. The diamond's too big. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can imagine and enjoy one of those, well, my daughter got a, a watch for Christmas, wasn't it? Has a hundred diamonds around it. Well, that means that they're kind of small. I can, I can uh, enjoy, I can, I can realize, but a hundred hope diamonds? Couldn't carry it around. I got more than I can carry. <laughs> the kingdom. There's just more than you can carry. Now, I was going to read this verse. Luke 23. Luke 23 and verse 42. This is a thief on the cross. Now, this thief on the cross, he, he's been a nasty guy. And he comes to realize by the Spirit of God, he's a sinner. And he confesses there, this man's death nothing wrong, but we're getting what we deserve. Now, to begin with, if you read this account, you'll find out he was just like the other thief. If you be the Christ, come down and take us down. <laughs> but oh, as God's grace began to work in his heart on that cross, he began to see he's getting exactly what he deserves. Now, every believer realizes we deserve this. Now, notice what he had to say. Luke 23, verse 42. The thief on the cross said this, And he said unto Jesus, and a valuable word in that verse is Lord. He's never used this word like this word, ever in his life. Now, if you ever used Lord before, it's been in vain. But now, it is serious. It's not a cop-out. This is how God revealed himself to him. And that's how God reveals himself to his people, is Lord. Lord. He said there, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, what's he going to do? How's he going to come into his kingdom? In a few moments, he's going to say it's finished. Great testimony about his kingdom. All I set out to do, I have accomplished. There is no work for man to do. I am preparing to sit down, which no priest before me has ever done. I am preparing in a short time to sit down at the right hand of the Father, accomplishing all that I set out to do. My kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It is not of this world. It is a kingdom of grace. It is a kingdom of, of salvation. It is a kingdom of resurrection. It is a kingdom sent out from God. And Jesus is spoken to here by this thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, when you fulfill all that you have determined to do. God gave him a mouthful in those words. And he recognized what it is to be called into the kingdom. This kingdom declares his sovereignty of grace. This kingdom declares his sovereignty of salvation. His kingdom declares his sovereignty of repentance. His kingdom declares his sovereignty of faith. His kingdom declares his sovereignty of patience. Every characteristic and attribute that we're in desperate need of, he is absolute sovereign in his kingdom over, and he dispenses it according to his divine pleasure and purpose. I will have patience on whom I will have patience. I will have 
I will have faith on whom I will have faith. I will have repentance on whom I'll grant repentance. I'll grant salvation to whom I'll grant salvation to. I will grant grace to whom I'll grant grace to. And beside all of that, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy on. I am king in this kingdom, and nobody thwarts his head. In this kingdom, nobody challenges me. Now, the natural kingdom, the worldly kingdom, the, the human kingdom, challenge God all the time. We'll not have this man rule over us, but in this kingdom, no one raises a hand towards God. Because in this kingdom, they're all his blood-bought, born, and adopted children. And they're so glad to be there that they'll never raise their voice to God. We just get to practice saying, Lord, King, King Jesus, you're my King. I don't want to do anything to offend you. Now in my old world, in my old life, I offended him. I raised my fist to him. I cursed him. Cursed him. But in this kingdom, no curses. I love you, my Savior. Just as that thief on the cross, knowing full well he deserved every bit he was getting, he says, Lord, I bow. My tongue confesses, I love you, Lord. Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Now, John said, we're companions in the kingdom. You know what that means? When we sit down, we get to talk about it. It's our conversation is in the kingdom. Conversations in the kingdom. Now, we don't have to share what we were like, but we share, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Turn with me, if you would, finally, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews, chapter 1. This verse of scripture about the kingdom. No one raises their fist here because all heads are bowed. Well, I don't know how many services I heard that. Every head bowed. Well, in this kingdom, every head is bowed. We don't have to be asked to. And we'll not raise our hand towards him. Oh, our heart's in perfect prayer. Perfect love. We perfectly repented. We perfectly exercised faith. We have perfect joy with him. We have perfect peace with him. That's where, that peace that passeth all understanding. It's not earthly. It is spiritual. Every one of God's children have perfect peace with God. It's no, that verse of scripture we read our Sunday night. We're not given the spirit of fear again to bondage. No. We have free intercourse with him. Coming in boldly to his throne of grace. Now notice here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Companionship in tribulation and kingdom. Verse 8. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God. Now, isn't that interesting? The Son is called God. Yeah. Unto, but unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Your kingdom is identified by righteousness. Scepter, rod, rod. 
what you hold in your hand, what you accept your people on, is righteousness. Not theirs, because the prophet said, led by the Holy Spirit, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But his righteousness, the rod that he holds, the acceptance that we have, is the righteousness of Christ. That's the scepter of his kingdom, is his righteousness. He holds his righteousness. He extends his righteousness. Uh, look at that. He's covered us with his righteousness. He's become our righteousness. He's overwhelmed us by his righteousness. And so as he says, unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom, is the rod, the identifying mark. Boy, the king steps out and he leaves his scepter here. Someone walks up to him and says, That belongs to the king. That identifies the king. He's left it in the chair. And his righteousness is how we identify the king. And that's our companion in the kingdom. Righteousness of Christ. Not our own, but his righteousness. So as the apostle John said, I, I am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. Kingdom. And if we just skip that couple of words, it says the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And Lord helping us, we'll look at that. And patience of Jesus Christ. The endurance, the enduring, sustaining perseverance of the king. We are also companions in that. I set out to do a work. I finish it. I set out to kingdom. It's going to be completed. I have a certain number given to me by the Father. I'll find them all. That's the patience of Christ. The long-suffering of the Lord means salvation. I am glad, I'm thankful, that he did not determine in 1983 to come back to this earth. The long suffering of the Lord meant my salvation. Now, I realize he wasn't going to come back then, but I just think about that sometimes. Lord, if you'd have come back. Oh, everybody's praying for him. We want the Lord to come back. We want him. But in 1985, he found me. Now, when he finds the last sheep, and he knows who they are, he knows where they are. He knows how old they are, if they're born yet or not. When he finds the last one with his gospel, then we will see this all wrapped up like a garment. But not until then. 